grace and peace to you, and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now, this is a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and then find it to the full. That's exactly what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And we continue in this new series from Pastor Sean called Rethinking Impossible. So do you have a faith to move mountains? Jesus challenged his followers to believe for the impossible. So what are the qualities of mountain-moving faith? And how far away are we from doing what we might consider impossible? The message today is called Mountain-Moving Faith. Put a marker in Matthew chapter 17. It's time for Reaching for Real Life. Mike told you we're going to continue this series that we started on Easter called Rethinking Impossible. And we looked at this idea of impossible through the lens of resurrection. And I told you that I had kind of a weird, tenuous relationship with impossible because um, you know, I don't like it. But yet we all come into those times when it's something that's bigger than us. And for us, it is impossible. But the whole point is that for our God, it's not. That's the thing. Nothing is impossible for him. We talked about how those first followers of Jesus... After the resurrection, how it was so mind-bending about Jesus. They saw him as he really was, and they saw him in a totally different light. But then even in other areas of life, what does it mean that death isn't final? How does that blow your mind and change the reality of how I'm going to live my life now? When I'm seeing the world through the lens of a resurrected Savior, that changes things, doesn't it? And as we saw, remember John told us, he said, I've written these things down so that you might believe, and in believing you might have life. And our main point was God did the impossible so that we would believe. And that's a big word, believe. It's closely connected to the word faith. And this faith of ours is something we want to just stop and take a look at. I think it's a word that we've kind of twisted and messed around. It's been watered down. It's used in different contexts. It's used some ways okay, some ways not okay. Um, I just think we need to recapture and understand what we're talking about. That's what, one of the things we want to look at. This is really a series about faith. I grew up, as many of you guys know, in a tradition that you know faith was, faith was a big part. I grew up in Pentecostal churches, and it was a big part of what we're about. You know, I saw some great things through faith. I saw God really work through people. I saw people take steps of faith and God do miraculous, powerful things because of steps of obedience and honoring what God's word says. And then I also saw some stuff that was just flat out goofy. You know, there. I mean, you know, it's just true. You know, when you see some guy, and I'm sorry, when you see some evangelist strutting around arrogantly, waving his jacket at the crowd, and the crowd swooning, okay, dude, that's not faith, that's fake. I'm sorry. And you're like, oh, you're, aren't you judging it? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not. And I, and I don't know that those are, I'm not saying those are all bad people, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, you have picked up some habits and some stuff that really don't have much to do with God-honoring, Jesus-following faith. Some guy up there going, look how great I am, wave my hand, look at the power of God in me. That's not, there's nothing biblical about that. And, I, and I, again, I, I just think people get caught up in stuff, they pick up bad habits. It's not that they're necessarily trying to undermine real faith, it just kind of happens. I remember uh, a number of years ago, I was, when I was 
kind of doing worship, leading full-time and music, uh, I went and led worship at a camp out in Southern California. Uh, cool church, very cool church. I really liked the leaders and stuff, and they were super charismatic in those kind of circles. And I remember I would lead worship, they'd have a great service, and then at the end, the speaker and some of the pastors would go pray for the students, and I noticed something kind of odd. They would go, and there'd be a line of students for prayer. Students would come, and the person would pray for them. The student would immediately fall down, and then they'd go, and they'd pray for the next student, and this one would get up and walk off. And then this one would fall down. And it was like clockwork. Now, I knew enough to know, okay, what is purportedly happening there is being slain in the Spirit. It's this idea that the power and presence of God is so powerful and so real that you can't even stand. I've seen that authentically, I believe. I've even experienced that. I believe in God's power. What I know for sure, when you have been touched by the power of God to where you can't stand, you don't, 15 seconds later, get up and trot off. Okay, it's not how it works. I mean, I've seen the power of God. And when the power of God is so thick and so real and so overwhelming that it knocks you over, you don't just get up and kind of run. But, and again, there's no, nobody was a charlatan here. Nobody's trying to corrupt anything. It was just bad habits. Kind of an imitation of something that they aspired to, but it, I don't believe they were catching it. I don't believe, I didn't think they were missing it. And so... One of the nights at this camp, a group came in, music group, and I really enjoyed them. They really seemed to love Jesus, be authentic, and you know. But they had a time of prayer afterwards, and I was there at the camp leading. Lori wasn't with me, uh, so there was something that we'd been praying for. And I just, I so they invited people to come up for prayer, and I went up for prayer, you know. And so when I went up for prayer, and again, same thing, man, the lay hands would be a boom down, and then get get up and walk off. This guy comes to me. And I'm really wanting prayer, and these are guys who I think really love Jesus, and I wanted them to pray with me on something. And so he puts his hand on my head, and I don't fall down. So he starts pushing. True story. And so I start pushing back. And I swear to you, this is true. I'm honestly praying. Because, you know, I, and this was my prayer. My prayer was, Lord, you can do whatever you want. You're God. If you want to knock me over, that's not some big challenge for you. So if you want to knock me over, Lord, I'm more than willing to have you knock me over. But this guy ain't pushing me down. <laughs> that's exactly what I prayed. That's exactly what I prayed. So I'm, you know, doing this. And so then it gets more serious. He's pushing harder. So now I go to the karate stance, you know. Mm, mm, and this thing's happening while people are praying. I'm expecting his buddy to get down, get on his knees behind me, you know, and kind of they take me over, right? The whole thing, I'm just like, come on, man. And, and, and please, understand, I think these guys love Jesus. It's just habits, stuff you get into, and you end up getting off track on things, or you try to, you want something to happen so badly, you try to make it happen. You know, I think we can all probably relate to that. But the problem is, it, it bothers me for people, whether they be believers, or maybe worse, even unbelievers, to, to look and go, oh, that's their idea of faith, when they're not going to see faith, they're going to see fake. And I so believe in the real power of God. 
I so believe in the power of his presence to transform lives and to, and to move and to do the, the miraculous and to really change us, change things around us, that I never want that to be cheapened. So our deal is we want the real thing. I want all of it, okay? I don't want to qualify it. You're God, I'm not. Okay, I don't want to tell you what you can or can't do because you're God. But I want the real thing. I think all of us really at our core want that. I hope. So we want to get a biblical perspective on what this faith is. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17. I love this passage of Scripture. Beginning at verse 1, and I'm just going to read a few verses because there's these two vignettes, these two scenes that happen, right one right after the other, and they're closely connected. And there's an important idea in that connection. Matthew 17, beginning at verse 1, we read, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Another translation says transformed before them. He was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses And Elijah appeared to them talking with him. So he's transfigured. We call this the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus was changed. He was transformed right before their eyes. And I want to suggest, it says transfigured before them. That's a clue. I think this was for their benefit. I think this was so they could see something. Now, you remember Simon Peter, and he's always getting in trouble. Poor Simon Peter. He was bold. God used him. Day of Pentecost, thousands saved. So, you know, we don't want to rip too hard on the guy, but he was kind of known for sticking his foot in his mouth, right? How'd you like this? He's up, Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus, who now is appearing very different. Jesus, who when they walked with him normally, he was a normal guy. In fact, Isaiah the prophet says, says there was nothing noteworthy about him. He was just a regular guy as far as his looks. They had seen some miracles, but even those were glimpses. Now they are seeing him totally different. Because remember, Jesus laid down some of the privileges of his deity. He didn't lay down his deity, but he laid down some of the privileges of his deity when he took flesh and he became one of us. So they now see him different. They see Elijah and Moses. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets. And Peter pipes up in that moment. And says, Lord, it's good that we're here. We should build a tabernacle. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And and it's like God the Father actually interrupts Peter. Don't you hate it when God does that? Have you ever had that happen? You're going down and something, that's such a great idea. And God interrupts you. The passage literally says that Jesus never responds. Nobody responds to what Peter says. The next thing is God the Father saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And God was gracious enough not to say, Peter. But he did say, listen to him. And that's just good advice. And so he speaks. And then Moses and Elijah depart. Jesus returns to his normal appearance. And they get ready to leave the mountain. He says, don't tell anyone about this until I've risen from the dead. And we've seen that they don't even understand the whole concept of what's happening there. They're not, they're not tracking with him. But don't tell anyone until I've risen from the dead. They would figure out eventually what that meant. This was for their eyes. And 
it's like a curtain was pulled back. And they were able to see Jesus as he really was. They were able to see its connection to the law through Moses and the prophets, through Elijah. And they saw the glory of the Lord displayed right before their eyes. And I want to suggest, as that curtain was pulled back and all of a sudden they saw Jesus as he was in his glory, their vision changed. They had a different vision of what they were a part of a different vision of what we are a part of. They saw it, they saw the glory, they saw the power, and it changed them. And they would one day, they would honor his word and wait till after his resurrection, but then they would tell us and they would write about this. For us to have a different vision. And that's the question for for this morning. What's our vision of what we're a part of? How do we see this faith of ours? I think the culture impresses so much kind of stuff and burden on us that our faith, what we really kind of walk out and live, can become a weird hybrid of Christianity, you know, American political thought, you know, capitalism, and it can all just get warped into this weird kind of thing that we call our faith. And what we need is to have the curtain pulled back and go, yeah, you know what? That's what we're talking about. The glory of the Lord, the power of Jesus manifests among us. It changes us. And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this series called Rethinking Impossible, as found on the sermons page at reallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue to help others just like you. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And if you're looking for a new church home, Here's your invitation from Pastor Sean. River City Community Church is a church for real life. Real life is what we were created for and what we're all about. In fact, our mission is more people living real life by passionately following Jesus. Hi, I'm Pastor Sean Azaro, and we believe we were made to have a life full of meaning and purpose that can only be found in relationship with our Creator. That's what real life is. It's not just a church thing. It's a way of living that powerfully impacts every area of our lives. River City is come as you are and has a relaxed, casual feel with practical teaching, inspirational worship, and age-appropriate ministry for the whole family. We're located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Rotama Park. Our service times are Sundays at 9.30 and 11.15 and Mondays at 7 p.m. River City is a church for real life, and so our home on the web is reallife.org. We hope you'll come and see us as you travel the road to real life. And back to the message, Mountain Moving Faith. This is Reaching for Real Life. Now, there was a significant event. So they leave the mountain, and immediately they go into a scenario. They see a crowd gathered. This is Matthew 17. Skip down a few verses to verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, listen to this, you unbelieving and perverted generation. Another translation says twisted. Twisted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Now, you're like, wow, that's kind of harsh, Jesus. 
I mean, really, that seems pretty harsh to me. You have to understand, Mark gives us a few details that Matthew did not give us. He tells us that what Jesus came into was the scribes, these religious leaders, arguing with the disciples. Okay, so here's this boy. He also gives us a detail that the father knew what the problem was. He said, there is this evil spirit that torments my son and causes these seizures and fits, throws him into the fire. So the father had put this. Matthew doesn't give us that account, but that's what had happened. And so here is this boy who is absolutely tormented, beaten. Can you imagine what he even looked like? Can you imagine the panic and the fear in his father, the desperation? And the religious leaders are arguing with the disciples, and the disciples are getting sidetracked arguing with the religious leaders. And quite frankly, Jesus is just frustrated. He's like, good Lord. Or maybe he just said, you know, good me, you know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what Jesus says in that moment. What I say is good Lord, you know. But you have to understand, he's frustrated. There is a holy and a righteous frustration. And I wonder how often God kind of feels that towards us. As we get sidetracked and get into these stupid squabbles over stuff that's meaningless while there are real people who God loves and gave his life for. And they're struggling, they're dying, they're desperate all around us. And so he's frustrated. And so verse 18, Matthew tells us that Jesus rebuked him, the evil spirit. And the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. What was that moment like for the father? What was that moment like for the boy? What was that moment like for the disciples? In verse 19, we find out, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith, the size of a mustard seed. You'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Rethinking impossible. Now, some of you might notice, that was verse 20. How many of you have a copy of Scripture or electronic or whatever that goes from verse 20 to verse 22, and 21's not there? I just thought I'd point out, mention, yeah, some of you guys have that. In, in, some of you may not have noticed, okay? You need to read a little more carefully, all right? I'm not going to rag on you or anything, but... Uh, verse 21 is an insertion in one of the more later manuscripts, okay? The earliest, some of the early manuscripts have that verse in there. The earliest do not. And it's okay, it's not like it's an error or anything, because it is, Mark does include it. But somewhere they began putting that verse in, and our contemporary translators have tried to be accurate to the most, the most ancient manuscripts, and so they've put that as a note. The verse says, verse 21, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting, which is what Mark tells us Jesus said, so it's fine, it's accurate. But I just thought you might wonder why that verse is a notation, and not an actual insertion there, okay? But Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll say this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, it's interesting. I, I don't think Jesus throws words around lightly. He clearly doesn't stutter here. Nothing will be impossible for you. And we don't even know what to do with that passage. Scripture. I, think, I think we sometimes ignore it and treat it like, well, you know, that's some, you know, Jesus is being metaphorical, and we'll understand that one day, but we don't have to do anything with that. 
Another thing that we do with that, I think, is we misinterpret. In fact, I think that passage of Scripture, the idea of a mustard seed moving, mustard seed of faith moving the mountain, uh, a lot of damage has been done because of the misapplication of that passage. What it's been turned into by a lot of people is if you would have had more faith, well then. In fact, I have some very good friends who lost a child as an infant, and they were part of a church that had that kind of perspective. And this verse is one of the ones that they would use. And they told them, if you would have had more faith, your child wouldn't have died. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being told that? And I think there's a lot of people who have interpreted that passage that way. I think it absolutely misunderstands the idea of faith. I think that is a broken and twisted interpretation of what Jesus is trying to say here. But it begins with this question of what is faith really? What really is faith? There are two ideas the scripture talks about. There's faith and belief. And I think in many ways they're interchangeable. We're told by grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God. We're told that whosoever believes in him will not perish. We're told Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So I think both these ideas have at their root this trust and confidence in God. That's what we're really talking about. A belief, a faith in God that is absolutely certain because of our trust in him. The writer of Hebrews gives us a fantastic working definition of faith. Hebrews 11, beginning at verse 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Let's look at that again. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith is a way of seeing the world through the lens of the reality of God's abiding presence and work. I want to be real clear Faith is a way of seeing the world through the lens of God's abiding presence, his work, and his power among us. And it does. It changes how you view everything. It's, and I, don't, I really don't like the idea of blind faith because that is a very misleading term. Just, and some people say, well, but it says it's the conviction of things not seen. What that means is that there are things that are not physical. They are not physically visible with our eyes, but they are real. Understand something. We are talking about a spiritual world that is real. In fact, the writer here says that's what the original is. What is seen was not made out of things that are visible. It is not a figurative world. It is literal. It's not physical, but it is spiritual. And while we cannot see the workings of the spiritual world with physical eyes, we can certainly see what happens, the result of that work. We can see the fruit faith. So literally, as you begin to walk in faith and you begin to trust the Lord and you begin to take steps of faith and you see God work, it's where eventually you start to go, wait a minute, I have seen it. Well, I didn't maybe necessarily physically see the hand of God. I've seen the results of his hand so many times that my faith is now based on what I've actually experienced and seen. It's building faith through walking with him, trusting him and seeing what happens. Faith is powerful. It is transformative. It is the atmosphere of the kingdom of God. Our whole salvation, we believe that God is. We believe that we need him. Our sin separates us. He sent Jesus Christ. His death on the cross can pay the penalty for our sins, did pay the penalty for our sins. And if we put our faith, our belief in him, 
we'll have eternal life. Faith is how we look at the world, and it changes everything, everything that we see. Now, note the phrase that Jesus brought in Matthew 17. Why couldn't we drive the demon out, the disciples asked him. He said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. The translation I used here is the New American Standard. When I studied the scripture, I used three translations predominantly. I used the English Standard Version, very good, strong translation, the NIV, New International Version, and I used the New American Standard, which is pretty much a, it is, in, in my opinion, one of the most scholarly, it is a very literal, kind of textual translation from the original languages. So it's very helpful in study. And so, while the other translation said, because of your little faith, which is fine, that's a good translation, it can be misleading. What the New American Standard said, which is, again, the most literal, it said the littleness of your faith. Because I want to suggest to you, Jesus' statement regarding the faith is a comment about the quality, not the quantity of their faith. The quality. He's saying you have a small faith. Not that you don't have enough faith, but that you have a small faith. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series, Rethinking Impossible, which is available right now on demand when you find the sermons link at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email that this program blessed you or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Please find the Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. As Reaching for Real Life is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time for more Real Life.